0: Welcome again, I'm sure to those of you who are gathering with us a little bit bigger today. And as we do gather, as I mentioned earlier, we gather here today to celebrate Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week, and also commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, for the past few days, we've been going through various aspects of Jesus' ministry as he travels through GA, of performing all sorts of miracles, but also teaching people as well that true transformation and true satisfaction
1: can only be found in
0: Christ alone. Now, as I was writing this sermon, I'm not sure if you guys have a bulletin, but I uh, really moved with my heart to kind of just scrap my entire sermon and just start completely from scratch. Because, because what I was writing
1: had nothing to do
0: with the idea of transforming how we see ourselves and transforming how we see the world around us. Originally, I wanted to talk about victory through peace, uh, but God made it within my heart to
1: talk, to talk about
0: the idea of greatness instead. And when it comes to the idea of greatness, um, I think there are always really discussions amongst sport fans. About who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? is LeBron James the Golt, or is it Kobe Bryant, or maybe it's Michael Jordan? Which heavyweight boxer play? is the Golt? Uh, which basketball player will be the greatest of all time? And in a few days, if you guys can follow him with March Madness, we're to see which team is going to be the greatest in this season. But when, but when it, it comes to my favorite greatest of all time, one person, in my opinion, stands above the rest. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge fan of combat sports, a uh, very bizarre sport for a pastor to be interested in. Um, I've been martial arts my entire life.
1: I think there's like a whole lineage
0: of martial artists on my dad's <laughs> side, because, hey man, you know, like a hundred years ago, before elections before TV, there's literally nothing to do but to farm and to train all day long. And so my family, we all grew up watching Bruce Lee movies, Jackie Chan movies, and Jet movies. So when, so when it comes to the sport of mixed martial arts, uh, um, one fighter in particular, in his name is Evgeny Rodemenov, stands kind of above the rest. He is, is the only fighter in this entire, entire division, division to hold an undefeated, undefeated record of 29 wins and zero, wins and zero losses. He, he fought, fought the best of the best of the best of the, the lightweight division has to offer, and no, no one, one could ever match the skill that he had at multiple, multiple years you know, some of the top and, and the reason, reason why I'm bringing this up today is that I actually want to discuss, discuss with us the idea of greatness. What does this greatness, greatness look like in this world? world? And what does, what does greatness look like in God's, God's world? what happens when these two ideas of greatness lie? Before I talk a little bit more about Eve and why I'm bringing up today, why don't we read our scripture reading? First, our Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be starting from verse 1 to 11. As they approach Jerusalem, he came to Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt's rider. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them." He will send them right away. This took place, the bill was spoken through the prophets. This is actually the prophet's second. Say to I Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, and not a colt, but the foul the of the donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and clothes, the and placed their clothes on them for Jesus to sit down. The very large crowds spread their clothes on the road, while the others cut branches the trees and spread them on the road. The, the crowd, crowd had went ahead of him, and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to, to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus, Jesus entered, entered Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the whole the city was stirred up, and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this, this is Jesus, Jesus, a prophet from, from Nazareth in Galilee. It's amazing passage. So, so, when we think about it, what, what it is greatness, greatness in this world? world. Biblically, Biblically speaking, at least the, the Jewish people of Jesus' time expected that expect the coming Messiah, Messiah, Messiah would be some, some sort of militaristic leader, leader who would finally be able to free Judea through some, some, some sort of crazy revolution. It would be this charismatic man spoke eloquently, who would raise the spirits of his people to fight against their oppressors, and finally usher in a new era, a new age, where the Jewish people can once again stand above the rest of the kingdoms. And then, after that, every knee shall bend to this Jewish kingdom, was one piece of defeating all of Israel's enemies. No one, would then dare to rise up. No one would dare to challenge, no one would dare to question the authority of this Jewish kingdom. And all people around the world will finally treat the Jewish people with respect. And the deep irony, here, in my opinion at least, is that what these people wanted looks more like the kingdom of Rome than the kingdom of God see, the image of greatness kind of revolves around this idea of power, wealth, prestige, or influence. Power to influence the world according to your desires, wealth to fulfill any wish that you have, the honor and praise from all people around you, and of course, influence to change literally the course of human history. And I think all of us, to some degree, crave that sort of greatness. By nature, human society functions as the heart of and all people will scramble to not be at the bottom. Be able to do literally anything and everything in our power in order to not come past. So, this is why the phrase the climbing the corporate ladder exists. This is also the same exact reason why young adults and youths are going through tremendous feelings of anxiety and depression. They see images and videos of people their age who are smarter than them while well, <laughs> they and then they look at themselves and they believe that they're all the way at the bottom of this ladder. This, this is also the same exact reason why sports fans love or rivalry. They'll sit at the edge of their seats ready to see who comes out on top and who will be on the bottom. But, but what people, people don't realize is that there's actually a cost of rates. rates. And this, and this was something that was very unique with Pete. He realized that the true cost of victory and the true cost, cost of greatness involved someone else's suffering. If you were to ask Kobe Bryant what the cost of greatness, greatness would be, he would say, hey, hey waking up earlier than your competitors, we're working harder than everyone else, and, ever and ever never quitting, right? Spending like like those you know, like late night hours just grinding shooting shots. Mike Tyson, when he was asked why he would jog at
1: 4 a.m. in the
0: morning, why, that's, that's when my enemies are sleeping. that's, that's why when I have an extra edge, an extra advantage, to put in the extra work so that when we come to the ring, I can defeat them. And so, so we, we honestly, obviously, we think that, that the, the cost, cost of greatness is, is our hard work, our blood, our sweat, and our tears. And the, the thing, thing is, is, those are all good things. things. It's good, good to work hard, but that's, so that's not the true cost of greatness. Working hard is not the true cost of greatness. The true cost of greatness that someone else must suffer, so that you can win. In several interviews, he he explained that he actually hated fighting, which is a pretty surprising statement from someone who fights professionally. He hated fighting. The reason he hated it is that the entire point of winning is that you have to put someone else down. Now, in the world of combat sports, I think that's a no-brainer You go for the KO, but that's the same in our world, too. We manage manage to pass an interview, we get a job, but at what cost? At At the cost cost of the other person's unemployment. Then we go home and we celebrate, but what exactly are we celebrating? Now, Now, don't don't get me wrong, I think we all need jobs, jobs. we all need to survive, but But what what I'm trying to to get across is that there's always a cost to making yourself great. At this point, we might be thinking, we might be saying, well, That's just how how the world works, to which which I would reply, Yes, "Yes, that that is my point exactly. That is exactly how this world works. This This is the type of world that we live in. This is the world that we are born in, and and this This is the culture that we all swim in, regardless of ethnicity, regardless regardless of where we are. This This is is the result of a world that sees greatness as as coming first. first. And more often than not, someone else must suffer for your gain. In, in fact, fact, in the world of finance, or even in the game theory, we even have a term for this this the zero-sum game. So, if this, this is the effect of greatness in this world, or if this is what the world teaches about greatness, then what does the kingdom of God to teach about greatness? That's interesting, if you, um, if you actually read the previous chapters in Matthew chapter 21, we go back, back John, one chapter, we okay, go back to chapter 20. Two, two of Jesus' disciples, disciples they, they want to sit, sit at the right or left hand of Christ. Christ. And, and the, the idea, idea was, that was that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Jerusalem as the king, and the disciples, disciples of Jesus is about to take his rightful on place on the throne, James, James and John, his sons of Zebedee, the 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 they, they wanted, wanted to hold at the, the highest seats of the honor, compared to have ever known us. And what and the these two disciples were concerned about actually wasn't even about Jesus, What they were more concerned about was their own status, their own honor. All that was on their mind was how to elevate themselves, how to make sure that they do not come last. class. Jesus' response to them, and also to the other disciples, was pretty important. Jesus tells them this, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servants, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, serve, but to serve and to, to give his life as a ransom, ransom for men. So with these words, Jesus redefines really what it actually means to be considered grace. Right? To be great in the kingdom of God, is to become the servants of all. So as Jesus says these words, he actually lifts it up. When right? Jesus comes marching into Jerusalem, how does he show up?
1: Jesus comes, comes as a king,
0: but, but on a humble donkey, ready, ready to, to be pick, kicked, ready, ready to be spit stopped, ready, ready to be mocked, ready, ready to be executed. That's her criminals. Jesus, Jesus comes ready, ready to be betrayed by his own disciples and left entirely but alone. Jesus comes ready to take on the full judgment of a human sin, even though he is God himself is and is entirely faultless. Jesus does all of this willingly. Jesus knew the, the cup, cup and he would have to drink. Jesus, Jesus knew the full price, price of what it meant end to be a, a slave, a servant of all, and he did it in Why? Why would Jesus, Jesus go to such, such extraordinary, extraordinary life in serving us? Because he, he realized that greatness, that greatness is born from love. From the in the kingdom of God, the first and most important ethic, actually it's not service, the most important ethic. First, is love. love. Jesus, Jesus obeyed the Father and was willing to offer Himself up, and not just because it was some sort of morally superior thing to do, or it just because Jesus was following on blind obedience. At the core of His being, at the core of God's being, is this that He loved the world so much that He sent His one and only Son into the world in order that He died for the world. So when we truly love, we quickly realize we are willing to give up everything, even ourselves, in order to serve others. And then it is through this service that we realize that love is not just feeling, love is not just words we say, rather love is the intense desire and willingness to give up everything for the benefit of someone else, and the courage to do it, even if it comes at the cost of our own well being. in this world, you have seen and understood greatness in the sense of, how can I lift myself up, but greatness in the kingdom of God is understood as, how can I lift you up? How can I lift up not just those who agree with me, but how do I lift up those who disagree with me? How can I lift up not just my family and my friends, but how can I even lift up my enemies? What am I willing to give up for the sake of a stranger? When we encounter such a message, we, we normally respond one of two ways, days. Um, which are interestingly highlighted very well in I at least. Um, to Stanley a little bit earlier about there's a, a slight common misconception mm-hmm. concerning the mm-hmm. trials that won Jesus, um, which, which I actually didn't know, know until I like did like some research this past week.
1: I think traditionally we believe that that this crowd was rejoicing and
0: welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem Jerusalem, only only to kind of like bizarrely turn like, oh no, never mind, let's crucify him, right? They had some sort of crazy (laughs) mental breakdown. But But the account account that Matthew presents to us is that there are actually two crafts, two different crafts, which which explains why Jesus can be celebrated in one day and then executed the next. The first first crowd, of course, is the Galilean crowd. These are the people who have witnessed Jesus' miracles. These are the Jews who have heard from Jesus, or possibly some who have even been viewed by Jesus. These are the individuals who have seen the truth about Jesus' words, that he did not come just to, to be served, but to serve. These are the tax collectors, prostitutes, those who are marginalized by society. that's probably the case that they didn't know the full extent of who Jesus is or what he was about to do. Based on Jesus' actions and his words, it's quite, it's quite clear that Jesus demonstrated greatness through lifting others up rather than himself. And so as these Galilean Jews are traveling with Jesus, seeing Jesus'
1: true teachings
0: of greatness, lived out through his whole life, as are walking and traveling to Jerusalem, their response was to announce Jesus as their king. This is a Galilean this is the crowd that's been traveling to Jesus' now and celebrating and dancing. But, but there, there is also a second crowd in this story. And the second, second crowd is, is people who lived in Jerusalem. Now, our, and our passage, passage tells us, as us that as Jesus entered, entered Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the whole city was disturbed. So if and we translate that, that literally and actually say, say that the whole city was shaken. Was and shaken. and the people, people are generally not very happy when. Kind of a, someone shakes up the orders of things.
1: And, and so, so the Jerusalem, in the,
0: is this unruly, unruly gallantly gallantly God, bringing their, their prophets into Jerusalem Israel Israel. as the King of the Jews. And in their mind, all they saw was, that this, this is but the but the reason reason to disaster, going to be a disaster, disaster. the real reason they thought this was going to be a disaster, the real reason they are afraid, especially those in power, is that Jesus poses a threat to their authority, to their power. With the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus challenges their traditional understanding of greatness, righteousness, and their control over people. Jesus continued to teach the Jews the Pharisees that the kingdom of God has of values, love, and service. But for the Romans, interestingly enough, they just ousted the King Herod, and they had just taken control of Jerusalem again, but all of a sudden they have an announcement from the field that there is a new king of the Jews, a new contender to the throne. So, as we reflect on our lives, we see a similar theme. We often find ourselves resisting the message of the gospel because it challenges our beliefs and values. It challenges the idea of who we think is the true king of our lives, which is normally ourselves. We have literally spent decades, we have literally spent every single day of our lives, day in and day out thinking of life under the concept of greatness that this world proposes, that we ought to lift ourselves up. For some of you here, we might have even succeeded in climbing that ladder. But when we confront the Gospels, we see that Jesus asks us to give that all up. To give up our understanding of success, power, and prestige. To give up our equities and how we have built ourselves up as our own towers of Babel. Jesus asks us now instead to look not at ourselves, but to look at our neighbors, to serve them, and to live them up. How do we do this? It's funny that the more and more we try to force our lives to resemble Christ, the more and more difficult it becomes. Why is that? I think sometimes we fail to see that this is the sort of, sorry, I think we sometimes fail to see that Christ's likeness always starts from love. Christ was able to give up all things, including his life, because he desires a relationship with us. He desires it so dearly that everything for Jesus is expendable. Everything is worth giving up, even if it's his own life, if it means that we can be restored back to the Father in a loving way. Everything for Jesus is expendable. So it is the same with us. When we love God, everything is expendable for us as well. Everything can be given up for God because we see a greater and more beautiful picture. We see that we are partnered with God side by side to bring transformation to the world and to the people around us. We finally understand what it means to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We begin to see how closely these two commands are linked together. And we begin to see greatness from God's perspective. So, as we end the sermon, I I want to start off, I want to first start off by saying that we are first and foremost forgiven. I think this message is as convicting to me as it might be for you. I must admit, I see greatness with the eyes of this world far too often for my liking and I clearly have not been as faithful as I desired either. The power of forgiveness is that we get to start again. We lay our mistakes, we lay our sins and our failures on the cross, and we are given a fresh start to try again, to try anew. And so, as we move throughout this week until we finally reach Good Friday, let us take this week to reflect. Reflect not just on the price that Christ paid but the love that he has for us that made Christ willing to pay us in the first place. So as we're about to enter into a period of prayer, um, why don't we pray for that? So let's come together for a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, today we come before you to first confess what is in our hearts. Uh, we desire greatness, and we desire human praise, uh, and we confess that more often than not, we do not desire your praise. We do not desire to be great in your kingdom because that would cost too much in our lives. But you have shown, you've modeled for us what true love is, that you willingly lay down your life for us even though we do not deserve it. And so, as we spend this day and this week reflecting on your final days approaching your death, let us realize. That loving you is not just through our lips, but through our lives. Teach us, Father, how to carry our own cross. Teach us, Father, how to lift up our brothers and sisters around us. And teach us, Father, how to develop the courage to partner alongside you in mission. Lord, we know that you love us so much. So I pray, Father, that you can teach us to love you more. And we pray all of this in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen.